morning. Hey. Welcome, Cajun Christianity. You guys, that's, that's what we're doing here. There's a bunch of swamp people this morning. Well, if you're, if you're just kind of new to this whole uh, idea of uh, a swamp coming to church and dynasty, you know, kind of showing up in church, that must be a little weird for some people. But the genesis of this whole thing was that, um, number one, I just want to make it clear that I don't endorse everything that people say on certain TV shows and everything that people stand for. That's not my intent. I want to repeat that as I said that last week. However, there were some things that, you know, when I watched this number one cable show in television that I saw that were so um, relatable and so relevant to, to our lives. Even though it's a bunch of Cajuns and they're down there in Louisiana in the bayou, um, there were some things that were happening there on a routine basis that were so healthy. Um, relationships that they worked through uh, using, you know, values that were actually based on God's word. And one of the things I love about the show that I saw every single week is that the family would come together at the end of the day and they would eat a meal together. How many know that's an incredibly rare thing in today's world? Yeah, people don't do that anymore. And they shared food together and they, and they shared ideas and stories together and they prayed together. And as a result, I think they stayed together. And so um, there's a lot of different things that we'll pull out through this series to just show you some different aspects of relationships and how it relates to our life. And last week we talked specifically about the heart, that everything begins and ends with a heart. Amen? How many were here last week for last week's service? Okay, if you did not get last week's service, I really encourage you to get the CD or to get online or, you know, download the podcast because it's foundational to all relationships, relationship principles and ideas that we will share in this series. It's really critical that you understand that it all begins and ends with a heart. Hardness of heart our, our, our arteriosclerosis uh, of relationships is an issue in our world today that needs to be dealt with at a heart level. And so that was critical. Um, but I love, you know, some of the philosophies of Uncle Phil, Uncle Philosophies. He has these things that he says that it's our God-given right to pursue happiness and, and that we need to be happy, happy, happy. And basically what he's promoting is not a circumstantial happiness, but happiness is a choice. And sometimes I'm standing here and I'm looking at people and, and I've decided to be happy this morning. I don't feel good, but I've decided to be happy. Amen? It's a decision. You can have, you can make a choice to be happy. And the world offers an alternative out there for happiness where you have to do something to feel better. You know, something has to come upon me. Something has to be given to me. Something has to be done for me for me to be happy. It goes out into the world and it goes into the bar, which is kind of the world's church, and they have happy hour. Right? And I, and I just think that sometimes we're not that happy. And, and, and I thought for just one minute... In church, we can have a happy minute. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a choice this morning to have fun in church, to be happy. To, can you make a choice to be happy today? Anybody? All right, why don't you stand your feet? Come on, just high five somebody and just say, I'm going to be happy to your right. Come on, give them that high five. I'm going to be happy. Are you going to be happy? Turn around to somebody else and say, are you going to be happy? Amen. Come on, have a minute. Tell somebody you like them. They look good. Woo! Come along if you feel like a room without a roof. 
at least have a happy minute in church. Come on, tell someone that was fun. All right. That's what it's supposed to be like, right? When you come to church, I mean, it shouldn't be all morbid and everybody just bored and your face is all, look like you were weaned on a pickle. Right? I'm telling you, it's crazy. Listen, today's subject we're going to talk about today is called Chatterbox. Everybody say Chatterbox. And we're just going to kind of talk about communication, conflict resolution, and just all the different things that affect our relationships with people. You remember that old song, I'm dating myself, remember the song by Run DMC, You Talk Too Much, Oh Boy, You Never Shut Up, you know what I mean? Remember that one? <laughs> it probe, you talk too much. Anyway, I, can, I won't do it. I got the Brian Adams thing going, so it won't sound as good right now. But in Proverbs 10:19, this is what it says. It says, when words are many, it says sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Sometimes you just keep talking, basically you're going to get yourself in trouble. We need to be careful, selective, cautious with our words because our words, you know, they can bring life or they can bring death. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue, but the tongue untamed can do a lot of damage. And, and sometimes people um, are hurt by it. Some people sometimes just shut it off. I want you to see how Uncle Phil handled an untamed tongue. We just check this out as the lights come down. Let's play this little video and let's just see the chatterbox in action. Some of you guys will appreciate this. Today, I took Miss Kate to find some fine cypress logs for my duck blinds. Where are these logs we're looking for? Huh? Where are the logs we're looking for? They're on up the creek. This is like being in the pioneer days. Yeah, I'm guessing she'll do most of the talking. Doesn't it remind you of back when we were dating back at Black Bow? My daddy had the fishing camp we did. Yeah. I was the paddle girl. Yeah. And you run me up under those hanging limbs and all those spiders ran over me. Remember that? Yeah. Then you remember what happened next? Yeah. And I act like I'm listening to her, you know, the whole time. Remember when we went down there and I bought you $100 worth of bait? Yeah. You remember the time, you know, we were there? I was like, yeah, I remember that. Remember when we were dating and Sai had to go with us all the time? Yeah. Remember when Sai tore up yeah. that motor I paid for? Yeah. Remember that? After 50 years, <laughs> I have learned the art to be oblivious to chatter. I can turn it off and not even hear a word. We should have brought a picnic. Hunt logs, Miss Kate. Come on, give it up for Uncle Phil, huh? Well, there are different methods to deal with the chatter. I'm not subscribing to that one, as I said and stated earlier, but that is one method to deal with the chatter. But, but sometimes there's a chatter that's not just endless. Sometimes there's a chatter that is very poisonous and, and, and sometimes very, very painful. And that's kind of more the focus of today is to deal with some of the painful aspects of the chatterbox, our mouths, our tongues, and and what can happen? <clears throat> I was talking to my mother-in-law uh, just a couple of days ago, and I was thinking about this for probably the last week or so, but um, on December 17th in 1981, my, uh, my wife's home where she grew up and uh, burned to the ground. Uh, it, was, it was a very, very painful time in um, their lives. Um, they there should be a couple of pictures there for you to see, but it was a week before Christmas when this took place, and it was not on anyone's agenda that day. In fact, my mother-in-law was preparing um, to cook for a Christmas party that was going to be happening that night, and she had left an eye on the, on the stove, went upstairs, and uh, apparently some grease caught on to that eye accidentally, and that is how the fire started. Just a little, just a little bit of grease got on the burner, and it was on. 
And the fire got so hot that the kitchen floor actually of their house uh, was estimated to be at a heat of well over 2,000 degrees. It was hot. It was really, really hot. And as they got up to some of the higher elevations, of course, not quite as hot, but the fire completely decimated their home. And uh, there's a lot to this story that my wife's told at different times, but that day they lost 95% of everything they had in just a moment. The only thing that they didn't lose was the clothes on their backs and each other. Uh, Thankfully, they were able to get out successfully. But it took a year, uh, almost two years, to completely get back that which was lost. And without the help of a church family, um, they never would have recovered so quickly. How many know that we need friends that are there for us in uh, difficult times? Because we always... We rarely prepare for the storms. We rarely have an insurance on our lives. We're just kind of thinking it's going to be the same as it always was, but sometimes, you know, life happens. And God provided for them in those terrible times, um, and uh, some, some people helped them rent a new apartments and provided pots and pans and clothes and all these different things. It was an amazing uh, story that happened there. But I was asking my mother-in-law, you know, what is it that you learned from the fire? You know, and oh, she's, you know, she's quick to say, it's, it, that's easy. There were just different lessons learned. And she thought about a couple of things and bounced me back later on. But she said, one thing I learned is you don't want to be near or in one. <laughs> you don't want to be near or in a fire. She says, she said also the aftermath of the fire leaves permanent memories. The aftermath of the fire leaves permanent memories. Um, she said every, every December 17th, the family all call each other. And it's, they call it, it's like a happy anniversary. They, they celebrate God's provision and how God kind of restored that which was lost. And, and they've turned it into a positive, but it was a, it was, it was a memory they'll never forget. <clears throat> Another thing she shared with me, she says, Derek, I remember going upstairs. And she, she, uh, we have this little app called Voxer. My mother-in-law in her 70s uses it. It's pretty funny. But she voxed me back and she said, I remember going upstairs um, the, uh, the day of the fire. And I can remember just the... Uh, all the air had left the room. She said, fire takes your breath away, or fire takes the life right out of you. It was kind of interesting. Um, and there were a lot of parallels in those lessons to our relationships as well. In other words, fire can be dangerous. Fire can be damaging and detrimental to property, but it can be equally devastating to people. In your notes, in your worship guides, I think it's in there. James chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. It says, the tongue also is a fire. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. In other words, it can just affect way beyond just you and your immediate self. And it's itself set on fire by hell. It's fueled by something that's on fire. And in order to have relationships that are delight and and filled with happiness and not pain and devastation and and decimation and destruction, it requires that we take a hard look at the subject of communication and conflict and specifically an area that we know is the tongue. And 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 this is our big idea for today. For for relationships to really work, good relationships do not happen by accident. They happen on purpose. For relationships to work, we got to learn how to work it out we got to learn how to work it out. And, and I've said this for years. For those of you who've been around me very long, you probably could f- complete the sentence. But I believe for a Christian, we should be good at this. In other words, I believe for Christians, conflict is an assignment, not an accident. Amen. I'll say it again so it sinks in, okay? Conflict for Christians should be an assignment, not an accident. In other words, because of Christ in us, we should have an advantage 
in conflict resolution, in communication, because of the precepts and principles of God's word, because of the life that he led that we can follow and study and learn from, because the Holy Spirit in, in, in enables us to, in, in, in dwells in us so that we can have a grace for others to be able to minister to them appropriately. But conflict is an, is an assignment. It's an assignment for you to grow in many cases or to be used to help someone else to grow, which is often the case as well, which is sometimes overlooked and overshadowed by denial or just indifference or even just selfishness. Is anybody out there listening to me? So, however, for many of us, what has, been the, what has been the case in the church or out of the church, there's really been very little difference, unfortunately, is fighting is almost like a sport. Some of us want to be professionals at it. You know, some of us are like, we're good at it. You know, we become more lucid and, and, not, and, loose, and loose-tongued. Either, either we become more descript and poisonously precise or become just loose and don't care and say whatever we want. There, there's these two extremes in either one. We're either like a brawler or we're like a, we're like a you know, karate person that just knows the right points to hit to be able to hurt somebody and take them out. Does that make sense? And so... The Bible doesn't say this, but this is, this, is the, this is the new Derek translation from Matthew 8, 28, 20. It says, where two or more are gathered, there will be conflict. See, because of people and the way people can be, there's going to be conflict. And so Uncle Phil decided to deal with it by just kind of tuning it out. But how many know that that will eventually produce new and greater conflict if we do that, Right? You just, he's just postponing the inevitable, right? And so there are going to be these, um, these, these, these uh, ways to deal with it that are, that are hurtful. Sometimes we have, you know, the opposite. We have these UFC kind of moments in our lives, and, and we just need to know how to handle conflict right. My wife and I um, sometimes have discussions. Sometimes we have fights. And, and recently I had her literally pinned in an argument. Um, she was crawling on her hands and knees, guys, to me. And, and uh, until she said, uh, you know, Derek, come up from underneath that bed and fight like a man. Uh, <laughs> anyway, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm more scared of her than she is me. Trust me, you'd, you'd have to, my wife's a spitfire. And so, um, I, I, a lot of knee knocking sometimes when we get in a fight, and it's usually on my end. But for many of us, fighting is a learned behavior. I either had two extremes that would come out of my, let's just say, upbringing and conditioning. Fight, you know, like really fight bad, more aggressive. And then sometimes there's usually two, two, two strains. There's the fight or there's the flight. Those are the kind of the two extremes. And I may get into some of the more particulars of that because um, some of you will relate or be able to place yourself. But for me, you know, I, I saw a lot of the fighting growing up. And it produced fighting in my growing up. I don't know if, if anybody has siblings out there. Anybody have brothers and sisters, okay? This is very common between brothers, very common between sisters, very common between brothers and sisters. So I had a sister, and I can remember going off to Grammy's house, uh, you know, to visit, and we'd go on these long drives, and my wife, my wife, my sister and I would have these backseat boundary battles. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, my elbow's right there on the armrest. I still do it today as an adult on the plane. I don't know this guy next to me, and I'm kind of like getting my elbow, and he's got his elbow. We're having this little kind of power struggle, and he reaches to get a peanut, and I get right in there, baby. Yeah, try to get some of that space back. You ain't getting some of that space back. You went and got a peanut. You lost out, pal. All that's going on in my head. I'm supposed to be taking a nap. 
But that all started way back in those backseat boundary battles between me and my sister where we're just kind of fighting for space and, and eventually it just became like brawling and physical and then I start whacking her and she starts whacking me and then she's whacking and I'm whacking. Stop touching me! You stop touching me! You, talk, 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 talk. you know, and the, you stop touching me. And then my parents would turn around and say, if I have to pull over, so help me. <laughs> you know, and, and they threaten our lives. They threaten that we would be extinct if we do not Stop those backseat, stop touching me, stupid battles. And, 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 and we drew lines and each dared to cross them. Instead of sharing with each other, we spent more time comparing with each other our bruises. She had more bruises than me. But, of course, because uh, I won. Um, but, but some of us, you know, we behave like that, not exactly the same way, but it, it just manifests in different ways today and fights over space. And, and, and in a way, there's like... There's just, if somebody says something to us the wrong way, it's as if that guy comes out in the room, let's get ready to rumble. You know what I mean? And it's on. Like, it takes nothing for some of us to switch on. And as we grow older, we, we reflexively fight for sport, and sometimes for fun, and, and sometimes we even initiate these kind of things. I heard about an elderly woman, um, and she was asked, what do you do to entertain yourself as a senior citizen? And she shared a story. She said, after going to a, a store for about five minutes, I came out from the store and I saw this, um, I noticed this city cop that was writing up a ticket and, next to a car. And so she came, she came up to the guy and she said, come on, buddy, why don't you give a senior citizen a break? And he ignored me and continued writing the ticket, she said. And so then she said, I called him a name, and he glared at me and started to write another ticket because of that. And so um, I continued to call him names, to which he continued to write tickets. And so he finished writing the second, third ticket, and then he put it on the car windshield and, and, uh, and, and just left all three of these tickets there. And then he, and he went on you know, um, you know, to go on to the next car, and she just kept badgering him. And she said, you know what? I don't care because... Uh, my car's parked further down the road. <laughs> Some people are just, it, that's, that's where it can go. It can go to these extreme, almost like for entertainment. But meanwhile, we are insulating and isolating ourselves. We're, we're living in, is it, we're almost like in an ice age where we're not connected the way we need to be. And we, and we need to stop doing this. Blessing and cursing, James tells us, should not come out of the same mouth. Salt water and fresh water, they, they, they shouldn't merge. They, shouldn't, they can't. And, and so Christians, we need to learn how to demonstrate how to, how to successfully navigate selfless living with people, healthy interdependence in the world we live. And, and the world should know, the world should know we're Christians by our love for each other, you know, our community. But why don't we? Well, here's some, here's some reasons why we don't. I want to give you uh, three particular reasons that we can adopt counsel from God's word on. And the first thing is we have to look under the hood. In order to have successful relationships between people, in order to be able to get along, in order to be able to work it out, you sometimes have to go a little bit deeper first. You have to look under the hood. And here's the first problem, the problem of different dirt. Everybody say different dirt. I'll explain this in just a minute. But I don't know if any of you have ever had your house, if you own a home, have you ever had your house painted? Anybody ever had your house painted? Okay, just like one person. Awesome. Um, well, 
we have some painters in the church. They'd be willing to help you out. Um, but but when I remember when we got our, our house, we lived down the street here years ago, and we got our house painted. And and the the, the issue, and and even our our new home of well, ten years ago, eleven years ago. But the color is one variable basically in the color of the house. Often the the color you choose in the store that you, it doesn't end up being the same color you see on the house when you go there. And I didn't know that. And so I bought this color, and then people painted it, and then I looked at it, and I said, something changed, you know, between the time I bought it and the time it was actually on my house. And, and what, what color I see, you know, is, is, and I choose is, 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 is affected by the materials already on the house. It's affected by whatever, the primer and the, the shade of the primer. It's affected by, you know, the, the sunlight and the angle that the sun's, you know, coming on. All kinds of, and probably many more variables that I don't know about uh, when, I'm, when I'm looking at it. Color of paint is just one variable. And an artist, when they're painting... Brian Barnes is an artist, or Lori Dudley, different people in the church, they know this, but it's just, they know this to be true, and, and, and they realize that what you see is not just a representation of what is necessarily there or what you put there on the surface. Particularly with older paintings, this is the case. They can, they can really come into light or really come into focus when a canvas had a painting that was done before it. In other words, a canvas overlaps another canvas. And it's reused time and time again in the older paintings. And over time, the colors that are underneath on the older canvas, they begin to bleed through on the new canvas. Is everybody tracking with me so far? And so there's a word for this that artists have coined. It's called pentimento, P-E-N-T-I-M-E-N-T-O, pentimento. And this is what it means. It means when what is on the surface is affected by what is bleeding through from the past. And that's what happens in our relationships. There's pentimento. There are things that are in our past that are bleeding through into our future in every conversation and every encounter that we have with people. And what's interesting is that God not only created art that way, but he created people that way. He created basically people with different pentimento in their lives. One of the big misnomers or conclusions is that we have in community is that we, that is that we are, or we think we are, communicating with blank canvases, and we're not. The assumption that we are communicating with blank canvases is what sometimes gets us in a lot of trouble. We especially believe this when we're in an argument or we're in some kind of conflict with somebody. We can't believe some of the things that are happening, some of the things they're saying, and some of the signals and signs that are coming forth. And for some reason, we conclude that the argument is comprised just of words, and so we just deal with it on a words level. There was, you know, in the first five years of my marriage, I really believed this. Uh, maybe even beyond that, if I'm honest. And oftentimes, I switch back to that kind of thinking. I thought that if I could just, I used to think this with my wife. We're having an argument. We're in an impasse. I used to think if I could just have a transcript of what she said and what I said back the last time, and I could bring that forward, I could go, read that. Aha! You know? And that would be it. It'd be settled. She'd be busted. I'd be wrong. She, you know, uh, I, excuse me. I'd be right. She'd be wrong. She's like, yeah, that's right, that's right. 
but then I could point exactly to that place and just get the transcript wrong. It's not, that's not what's really, that, that wouldn't happen that way. I've been in counseling with people and, 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 and a, a, I'd have a guy practice mirroring with a, with a spouse and, 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 and she'd say what she was really bothering her and then I'd say, okay, mirror back. And then he'd say it just right and then, and then she'd say, you know, she'd start crying and why are you crying? And because, because he, doesn't, that's, that's, he doesn't get it. And then I'd say, well, yes, he did. He said exactly what you told him to say. And then she'd say, well, that's not what I meant. Because there was something else going on beyond the words. Is everybody out there? Because we're not painting on blank canvases. Fights are so much more than words. And if you have an argument with someone at work, it's, it's not just about that project it's, that you're fighting about. It's not just about that, that particular performance issue that you're fighting about. It might, might have erupted to another level because maybe they heard through the grapevine on, on the winds of the office that there's going to be layoffs coming. Maybe that he, had a, he had a fight with his spouse that particular morning. Maybe your face reminds him of the roommate that he had in college that stole his Michael Jackson Thriller album in 1989. And all that is going on. And because people are screwed up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're all dirty canvases painting on one another. And, and there's this Harvard study that revealed that when there's a conversation, there are three things going on in difficult conversations. Three things. There are three conversations that are happening concurrently. Here they are. The first one is what happened? What happened? This is, this guys are really, this is where we tend to focus in on, like, what, ha- what happened? You know, like, we just want to know the facts and the figures, and that's kind of where we go. And the second conversation that's happening concurrently in any conflict is, what am I feeling? The feelings conversation, emotions that may or not be related sometimes to the present conversation. And the ladies are typically in this arena predominantly and statistically, so don't get mad at me. Girls connect deeper here. And and the emotions, again, they may not always relate to the current situation, which makes it complicated. And guys, just be quiet. Trust me to be quiet right now. All right? Then the third thing that's happening concurrently in the conflict is, how do you see me? How do you see me? In other words, it could be things like, am I competent? Am I good? You know, do you accept me? How do you view me? All of this is happening, and it's way beyond just words. All right? So we need to understand there are these there, there's, there's different dirt that is affecting our relationships. And what, what, what is it that's really hurt us in our communication? Well, sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's our ego. Sometimes we, we, we don't really need to talk to the person. We really need to talk to God before we can even talk to the person and deal with some of those things that are going on inside because that person can't fix or answer some of those particular questions, at least not adequately. Think about this. Some of us are ready to offer grace to different people, and, and I can offer grace to one that my wife might see as a jerk, and, and, she, and, I, and she can offer grace somewhat to someone that I might see as a jerk sometimes or whatever. And these are strong words, I know. But the problem, though, in both those situations is everybody's got different dirt, and we have to learn how to see that there's something going on beyond, beyond the surface canvas. Ephesians 4 in your notes, it says, Be completely humble and gentle patient, bearing with one another in what? In love. Because none of us, none of us is a blank canvas. We're all imperfect. We're all carrying 
our past experiences, our beliefs, our assumptions, our feelings, our judgments, and how we deal with communication. So the first step to healthy conflict resolution is this. You have to lighten up. You have to lighten up. This is an oversimplification, but you kind of have to lighten up a little bit about it. Basically, what I mean by this is by offering grace to others for their faults and to face our own imperfections by taking them first to God. That's what Ephesians 4 is really saying. It's saying lighten up. Offer grace to people and their faults and know that we and take a hard look at our own faults and imperfections and kind of balance that out. That creates a new lens that we look at people through. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like putting on a shade of glasses and just saying, okay, we all have some different dirt here. I need, oh, right. I see differently now. Don't I look good? No, I'm just kidding. How do you see me? Um, I just thought of that. And so I just had these glasses there, not for that purpose, but just, hey, it worked. Um, but that's what I mean by lighten up. Is everybody tracking with me? Grace. Grace is giving somebody exactly what they need, precisely what they don't deserve sometimes. You know, And so if I'm angry and upset, then I'm asking myself, maybe the question I have to ask myself or the thing I need to talk to God about is, what is hurt? What is hurt? Because hurt is usually the basis for anger. Or I, I might need a gut check because maybe what's hurt is my ego. Maybe what's hurt sometimes is my pride. And, and, and therefore, the conversation, once again, is not with them first. The conversation is with God or with myself first. And James 4.2, look at this. The Bible backs this up. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Do they not come from the desires that battle within who? You. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and cover, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, and then you fight. And you do not have because you do not ask God. Who should you talk to? God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask God with the wrong motives. Change them. Fix them. Smite them, almighty smiter, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so if we submit those things to God, he's going to check those things. And when you read your Bible, you'll see, this is just one aspect of, of relationships and conflict resolution, but you'll see this, this idea of servanthood. We talked a lot about this last week in the first message about what love really looks like. Love is a decision. Love is a choice. Love is, is self, unconditional love. Agape love is selflessness. This is similar servanthood that we are called to, and it's, it's a life that Jesus modeled for us. And I find it fairly easy to do this uh, in some cases, but there's one context where it's not so easy, and that's when somebody treats me like a servant. I can serve somebody else, but when somebody treats me like a servant, that's when it's really hard. And when, and when that happens, I want to respond. I first, I, I kind of want to establish my nobility. Don't you know who I am, you know, kind of thing. And that's kind of the sequence for me. And, 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 then, and then I will strategically serve you back once I've done that. And that's the kind of stuff that at the core creates conflict sometimes for me. And I'm realizing more and more that it's, that, it, that um, how do I say this? More, that, that the role, I'm realizing more and more the role of imperfection on the earth. There's a role, you may not like this point, but it's still true. There's a role of, of, for imperfection on the earth, that God set it up that way. There's a laboratory where we work this out here. You know, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do I show that I'm submitted to God? By submitting to one another, Ephesians 5.21. There's all these illustrations and examples and scenarios where that plays out, and God set it up that way. And I look around me, and I see coworkers that are imperfect, family that's imperfect, friends that are imperfect. And you know what I see that I am? You know what, you know what I see I am? I am. What? No, perfect. I'm like a growth engine. What are you talking about? No. No, I'm imperfect. I'm imperfect too. 
We're all dirty canvases and we need to lighten up. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's an ironclad guarantee that God will continue to put in, in perfect people in your life, in imperfect places, and he's in, in, a, in an imperfect earth so that you can grow. And so we might as well embrace that, that there's, we're just, we're amongst people with dirty canvases. And, and we just need to not sweat the petty stuff and pet the sweaty stuff. Right? We need to just lighten up. Amen? And I'm not saying it's easy. Most of us have these knee-jerk reactions to conflict that exacerbate the problem, and, and, and we've got some bad habits, and we've got some things that we say wrong, and I did tons of those things. You know, my wife's like, are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening to you. My ear's pointed right at you while I'm, you know, looking at the TV with the remote control, and, and, and I've heard all kinds of crazy things. One time, a wife walked into the kitchen, and she said to her husband, what's on TV to her husband? And the husband says, Dust. <laughs> That's not, it's funny, but that's not smart, right? (laughs) Not smart, yeah. So most of us, we need to learn how to avoid these altercations. And so we either have one of two extremes. (laughs) We just put it out there like that, or we just avoid it altogether. And I submit to you that most occasions, we circumvent the process of healthy conflict resolution. And that's the next point. We need to follow God's process, the problem of triangulation. The problem of triangulation. This is a weird word, but I'll explain it in just a second. The favorite running pattern or knee-jerk reaction to conflict, I think, is this one. In other words, I have an issue with you. I'm ticked off with you. You hurt me. I'm upset with you. You came in late. You, you didn't show up at all. Uh, you, you are you're bothering me with your petty calls. You, you, have, you have bad breath. Your zipper's down. You, whatever. I don't know what it is. You know, and, and so instead of telling that person, you go and tell everyone else but that person. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? All right? And let me just say something. We are all guilty of this. And, and there is, there, this, is, this, is, um, this thing is so predominant that psychologists have a term for it, and they call it triangulation. Triangulation. Now, there's a special flavor of this in the church, and you know what it's called in the church? It's called prayer requests. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think I know where he's going with this. Can you believe what she did? We need to pray for her. She's falling off the bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what's going on. Oh, yeah, I heard him fighting. Oh, this is what he said. This is what he said. We need to pray for him. She's not doing very well. He's not doing very well either. And so we spiritualize triangulation all the time in the church, and it's bad. It's bad. We need to put a stop payment to that, amen? In the book of Matthew, it gives us this process, which I could do a whole message on, and I won't today, but Matthew 18, 15, this is what it says. Read this on your own, please. This is the biblical process for conflict resolution. Matthew 18. There's another one in Matthew 5. So if you've offended somebody, there's approach. If you've been offended by somebody, there's approach. In either approach, God says, you take responsibility. There's more in there than you realize what I just said. So in either case, you can't wait for somebody else to initiate. In both cases, you initiate. But in this case, if, if another brother sins against you, go privately and point out that fault. Just between the two of you. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. I got to get one in every time. You can make it if we try. My voice is so bad. You and I. All right. Anyway, but you got to go between you and that person. If you're new to Connect, there has to be one of those every service. Um, 
You got to go to that person. Now, there's a way to go to that person, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. But the point is, triangulation is going around the person, but biblically, we have to go to the person, all right? If, another per- if the other person listens and confesses it, you won that person back. It didn't say you won the argument. It said you won that person back. That means there's restoration of relationship. Winsome versus win something. Did you get that? So one of the most common dysfunctional things we do to avoid conflict is to tell everyone around us that's bothering us except the person who's, in the, who's the source of the communication breakdown. And the Bible tells us to go to the source. Triangulation robs both parties involved of a great growth opportunity. It's the litmus test to whether or not you value the relationship or you just want to gossip and complain. I can remember being confronted by one of my associates when I worked in the school, Christian school, Rebecca. She's like a sister to me, but she was also a delegated authority, meaning, meaning I was her boss. But yet she still, she, her response, one of her responsibilities, because not only was the principal of the school, but I was a pastor and working with kids and all the things that go with that. Do you know that it can take a lifetime to build a reputation, but you can lose it in a second, Right? So when you're working with kids, there's some sensitive things. You're working with adults, there can be some sensitive things. As a guy working with women, there can be sensitive things, vice versa. So one of her jobs was to be a gatekeeper, a protector of my, let's say, reputation, appropriate reputation. And one time I was counseling one of my staff privately in a back room, not a back room, I should say, but in a closed-off room. So that's not, there was nothing wrong with it. If you knew who the person was, 200 of you would say, no problem. She was like a little sister to me. I cared for, actually married she and her husband, you know, short, shortly thereafter that. I could give you all the, all the why it's okay. I could give you all the circumstances. But Rebecca, concern or care for the appearances of that, not actually that anything was wrong or could be wrong, uh, was what in, prompted her to initiate kind of coming to that room. And I can remember the door kind of going, you know what I mean? She came in and she's just kind of like, pastor. Yeah, do you think you guys could meet someplace else? You know, this, and basically she basically said, this is not okay, this is not good. And my first reaction was kind of like, what? Are, are you serious? Do you think, I mean, me and her, what? Defensive, kind of smarting, kind of, any, any guys know what I'm talking about out there? Like, like, you don't like that. Like, you know, I mean, I'll dock your pay. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, I just, there's, there's sometimes our default is not an appropriate response, but her, her, what initiated that was, was uh, her care or concern as a gatekeeper. And so she went right to the source. And I think there's an appropriate way to do this, and there's an inappropriate way to do this. But at the end of the day, sometimes things like that have to be done in order for people to grow. And so anyway, we worked it out, and it was very, very helpful. And some people, they have no um, desire to get involved in those kind of things. And I think it's sometimes because we really don't care. I think it's sometimes because we really don't, we're really not concerned for people. And, 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 and anyway, so we got to lighten up. We got to go to the source and um, uh, we got to tell the truth. Absolutely. But the answer to telling the truth is, should we tell the truth? Yes. But the other part of telling the truth is how you tell the truth. So here's the third principle that we need to practice. But let me introduce the problem first. And that's the problem of pathological truth. You've heard of pathological liars, but let's talk about pathological truth ter- tellers, or I sometimes call them truth terrorists. <laughs> All right? This is the one, and there's always one, you know who they are, you know what I mean? The one who feels the need to just blurt out their version of the truth with no concern of how 
uh, or when. Uh, so timing is certainly not an issue sometimes either. It is delivered. You're late. Do you know that? You're late. Meanwhile, you can be in front of the entire staff. You know what I mean? Changes the whole dynamic of the meeting because you got called out. Everybody's all now just walking on eggshells. It was all happy, happy, happy before that. Now it's not, right? You know, this, you know, this is your second time that you've been late. You realize that? You know, and, and you know, who dressed you? That is, you know, it's like, it's like Bruce Almighty, you know, when he had to tell the truth, you know what I mean? Do you like my hair? No, it's awful. It's ugly. You know, it's like, you just, it's that, that, anybody see that movie? No? All right. Anyway, um, here I go again, endorsing movies. But, um, you just kind of blast it out and, and, and you, you're, don't raise your hand, but are you one of those card carrying types where you just kind of say it? And, and spray it and spit it and, and well I'm, and maybe some people and sometimes we're justified well I'm just telling the truth you know um, or like the sisters say I'm just saying I know it's tight but it's right you know sorry Vanessa <laughs> she doesn't do that I just she's just my sister anyway but I, 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 I got to admit, I skimmed this book. It's called Anatomy of a Lie, and it was written by a physician. By, her name was Diane Comp, and she tells about the struggle that she had as a physician to deliver devastating news, especially to um, patients with terminal illness. And, and, and I want you to see a context that's kind of being set up here. She learned how to do it in as healthy a way as possible without lying to them, but at the same time being sensitive to them. So she realized that I have to tell them the news, but there has to be a sensitivity in how I deliver the news, right? And so she created the term, and she called it merciful truth. I just thought it was a great uh, term, merciful truth. And that's not finding a way to tell the person exactly what they want to hear. That's not what merciful truth is. And that's what some people do. They go to one or two extremes. They don't tell them the truth at all, or they just tell them the truth. And both things can be very, very detrimental. And, and, and that's, you know, when we just tell people just what they want to hear, that's not, a, that's, not, that's not a marriage. That's not a family. That's dating. That's funnier than you realize. You know, put your good foot in, put your bad foot out, keep your good foot in, and shake it off. I mean, that's, that's what dating is. We just best foot forward, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like practicing for an affair. We just show all the good stuff. That's all an affair is. An affair is just everything that's good, everything that's great. They don't know jack about the dirt. They, don't, they haven't seen any of the dirty canvas yet, you know? Ooh, touching a nerve. <laughs> So, so we just want to have our ears itched. So there's that extreme, and then there's the other extreme, as we've already talked about. And Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says this. I'm looking at Ephesians 4.15. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love. Let's go back to that word, instead. In other words, instead is saying, instead of blowing off the truth, instead of just speaking the truth, that's what instead is talking about. Everybody say, instead. Instead of just like, don't say anything, instead of just say everything, it's saying instead, speaking the truth in love. We will in all things, what? 
grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So the Bible's teaching us that we must find a way to speak the truth in love in a way that is not destructive, that is not reductionary, that is not demeaning, decimating. And we often find ourselves bouncing between graceless truth or truthless grace. That's what's usually happening. And, and, and it's at the expense of growth, my growth, your growth, our growth, the body's growth. And in this place of tension between these two things of graceless truth and truthless grace, it's always in conflict. The biggest growth lids in my life have been, first of all, in relationships, but oftentimes initiated or, or, or catalyst for them have been conflict. Navigating, mitigating, working it out, conflict. Finding both grace and truth. And it's, it's part of God's plan. And so how can I, we have to ask ourselves, how can I deliver sometimes devastating news in an appropriate way? Maybe it's not devastating. How can I deliver, you know, life-giving news? It, it, and realize this is in their best interest. How can I deliver merciful truth? Can it be done? Yes, absolutely. And how can it be done? I'll tell you one thing you got to do. You have to write this down. You have to consider your approach. This is not in your notes, I don't think, but you have to consider your approach. I had a horrible approach when I first got married. I, I don't know where it came from, but you know, some of it, some of it I can't blame on my mom and dad. Some of it, I, it's just in me. Some of it's in all of us, but I had kind of had a zero tolerance for things if they weren't done my way. You know, I, I, Frank Sinatra was a theme song of my life. I did it my way. I won't sing it, okay, so don't worry. But I think all of us, we have a way, and we go into relationships, and we think the, the best way is for her or for him to be just like me, and then we'll get along, and that's not true. We're not supposed to compete, and then we end up competing over our differences and learning, instead of learning God's design, which is to celebrate over our differences and, and compliment each other instead of compete over each other. And I didn't see that, so I kept trying to say, why aren't you doing it this way? This is how we should do it. This is how we always did it in my house. And, you know, why are you putting ketchup and mustard out on the table? It should be in a little dish. She's like, what? I'm like, this is wrong. It's not how we do it. You know what I mean? And the lazy Susan cannot have little baggies in it. It has to have Tupperware, and everything's in the Tupperware, and it's got to be tightly put away. And when you spin it, everything's clean and neat. And she's looking at me like, what have I done? <laughs> and everybody else is listening on like, get me one of those, not. You know what I mean? Like, I walked into with all this stuff. My dad's here, he might not remember this, but I, I, have you ever been really mad with someone but you didn't want to confront them because you were, in your mind, you were certain it would go bad? You're like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know. You don't know what I know. They're, 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 you know what I call that? I'll get to that in just a second, but that was me. I, one time I had to confront my dad in this ministry about a ministry thing and, and where I thought he was wrong about how he confronted someone basically for me. He was doing something for me, but I didn't like that he did it for me, and I didn't like the way he did it. <laughs> so, af <amen. laughs> so after much prayer and processing, putting together a 16-point presentation to confront my dad, <clears throat> I said, <clears throat> Dad, <clears throat> I have a few things that I want to talk to you about. You know, <clears throat> Michael Jackson like, took over. I was scared to death. I don't want to say to you. I mean, say to you, mm -mm, Dad. <laughs> I said, 
But I remember saying, you know, I know you're seeing things that many don't, and I'm not questioning your judgment, but, but I am ultimately responsible in this particular service, in this situation, how it flows. Therefore, I, I think that, that uh, you may have let me play, you should have let me play back up in that situation and give me your feedback with regards to that situation in private rather than handling that thing in public and just let me handle it. And you know what he said? He said, you're right. And I was like, it's a miracle. <laughs> no, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait. Before, before you assume anything, the miracle wasn't that my dad said, you're right. The miracle is kind of what happened to me. Because I had what, what often has in conflict resolution, I had the sin of assumption. See, the lack of information, I filled the gap with suspicion and distrust instead of filling the gap with trust and, 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 and an outcome that was positive. He said, you're right. And, and I didn't have any more script for the rest of how it would go. I was like, I'm, 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 I didn't expect that. I'm out of script. I was expecting something else that you might say, and I had some more script for that. It was a miracle for me. And we should never confront people. Listen, this is, this is, what, this is what will change it. You don't confront people that, there's two huge things, I don't have time for this, but you don't confront people you don't care about. And if you're not caring about them in the moment, you probably ought to talk to God a little bit longer about it. Ideally, you deal with conflict right away. You don't wait. You get on it. So some people say, I'm going to be waiting a long, 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 duck, long time. No, you need to get to God about it, okay? But, and when you go in to, this is, um, I teach my staff and, and we're trying to model, I'm trying to model this more. This will kill the sin of assumption. You might be right a lot of times. A lot of people, especially certain personality types, they have good judgment. They have good judgment. They're usually, this is what hurts them. They're usually right. But they can be dead right because of how they did it. Okay? So the best thing to go in, especially with that personality type, but all personality types, is go in, ask great leaders, great communicators, ask questions. They don't lead with certainties. They lead with questions. So you just go in and just, you, you, can't, you, you facilitate feedback. And in the process, you might filter out some things that you were just playing off on. There could be 40% dirt, some of the dirty canvas surfaces, and you realize, oh, that's what he was upset about. It wasn't about this. It was about something else, and that has nothing to do with me. All these other factors that we've talked about surface because you didn't lead with certainties. You led with questions. Does that make sense? Don't confront someone you don't care about. Ask questions. My wife, she used to always say this, and she's awesome at it. All the, getting better at it all the time, probably better at it than I am now, but my wife didn't confront anyone. She always would be upset about different people in different situations, and she'd say, you need to confront so-and-so. She didn't say it like that, but she you need to talk to so-and-so, and you need to talk to that person, and you need to deal with that person. I'd be like, you deal with them. She'd say, no, you're better at it. I said, the only reason, this was a long time ago, the only reason I'm better at it is because A, I do it more, and B, I care. You can, I can't confront those people. I'm just, I'm not good at that. I said, well, you can confront me. And you can confront your father and your father-in-law, the three strongest personalities probably in your life. You have no problem doing that. Yeah, but that's because you're family. That's because you're my husband. I said, yeah, it's because like, you care. You want the outcome at the end. Now, you might do it a little fire, a little bit too much salsa sometimes, sweetheart. But underneath that is you want to work it out. Because it needs to keep going forward. Because you don't want to just cut somebody off and, 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 and it be over. Does that make sense? So we got to care precedes competence. 
It precedes competence. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 15:4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Our tongues are just as effective in, as a surgical scalpel in the hands of a skilled doctor, or they can be, the tongue can be like a surgical scalpel in the hands of an immature child. One can do tremendous damage, even though it's the, 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 the surgical scalpel, the knife can save a life or it can bludgeon and kill someone. It just depends on whose hands it is in and if it's coming from a tree of life. And truth and love are two words that can coexist. Truth and love equals growth. The goal is to practice graceful truth. It's just, it's, it, you have to, well, there's some things, Pastor, that I need to say. And they're, they're, they're really important. If they don't get said, the, the whole thing's going to blow up. I agree. I agree. In order to go forward in certain things in your relationship, there's got to be some effective communication. You have to talk about stuff. A lot of people just don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of the outcomes. They're afraid of what's going to happen, and so they just bury it, bury it, bury it. Well, that just blows up. Where's that go? The end result of that is, so then, no, I don't want to do that. So now we go right into the conversation, and it blows up that way. Listen, the plane has to land. I get it. The plane is traveling, the 747 is traveling at an incredible velocity, 600-something miles an hour, megaton machine, and, but it has to land on this itty-bitty runway with these itty-bitty wheels, and it has to come out of the sky with all that velocity and all that weight. Yes, it has to land. It can't stay up in the sky forever because if it does, everything's going to blow up. I get it, but it better come down, touch down nice and easy. Approach is everything. Approach is everything. Approach is everything. Some of the biggest breakthroughs in my life, and I have them listed here, I could do a seminar on just what I took away from different relationships were in conflict resolution with different people. And somebody confronted me with truth and grace, or somebody confronted me with truth and a little bit of grace, or somebody, you know, you know just avoided it and what happened. All these things we can learn from. We have to learn how to lighten up, go to the source, and practice graceful truth. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet and let me pray for you. Did you get something out of this? Years ago, when I was um, a police chaplain, I had the responsibility of, uh, one of the responsibilities I had, which I hated, honestly, if I'm totally transparent, was sometimes I had to deliver difficult inf news and under difficult circumstances and situations. <clears throat> and I won't tell you the whole skinny on this, but one time I had to uh, tell a mom whose son had just been killed in a car accident that her son had died and then go to the school with the mom and tell a seven-year-old girl that her brother had died. And it was, oh, let me tell you something, you, don't, you can't pay people enough for something like that. Like this, it was just, it was, a, it was awful. And I'm sure you guys have had tough situations in your life too, but I just, I remember it vividly. I can remember driving there thinking, there are words, words that are gonna come out of my mouth that, that have the power, you know, to, to change somebody's life, like forever. And it, just, it was just so overwhelming, you know, power, life, death in the tongue. And, and I had to deliver this news mercifully, you know. And you have situations in your life where there's things that have to be said, things that have to be communicated, things in order to grow and go forward, in order for you to see change in your life and change in theirs, things that have to be communicated. But you have to embrace truth and love. 
And God did the same thing for you. The truth is that you may not have died like that young man did that particular day physically, but actually we're all dead in our sins. We're all dead in our trespasses according to God's word. And we all went our own way in our own path. And, and it was God's word for many of us that changed that, the course and trajectory of our life forever. God's word, his words, their life. And it can change with the acceptance of his message or the rejection of his message, the outcomes of our life, the good news. Ephesians 2, it says this, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ without hope and God in the world. But now in Christ, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This is cool. He says, for he himself is our peace. Who brings peace to us? He brings peace. He made the two one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I think there are walls of hostility between you and God and you and people. There's a, there's a group here that has hostility between you and someone else. And if that's you, and you know that, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me in that situation? There's some walls between me and another person, and I want to see a breakthrough in that area of my life. Good night. Don't be shamed. I'm sure there's many people that could say that's me. I'm going to pray for you. Just put your hand on your heart and just agree with me as I pray for you. Father, I pray that you do what your son can, only your son can do. You came to break down the, the barriers, all the barriers, God, that are in people's lives that, that get between people. I pray that they see behind the canvas, the surface canvas, that there's, there's a dirt there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's stuff bleeding through. It may it give them understanding, may it give them insight, may it give them supernatural wisdom, may it even, may it even give them um, direction, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you empower these people to go to the source. But as they go to the source, they go to that person and, and try to work it out, which is God's plan according to his word. Would you give them the ability to administer truth and grace in balance, in perfect harmony with one another? Help them, God, by your Holy Spirit to find the sweet spot. What's that sweet spot? What's that, what's that groove where they, can, where they can assertively communicate, actively listen, where they can impart truth. And it's coming from a heart of care and concern. And Lord, I pray that it not fall on deaf ears, but that the wisdom that's from above would be peaceable and easily entreated, that the tongue of the wise would bring healing, even knowing that reckless words can pierce like a sword. God, I pray that you bring change and that you break down the walls of hostility between man and man. And now for the people who are here where there is a wall or there's a barrier between man and God. You might be here today and you feel a barrier between you and God. You and God are not right. You and God are not in right standing with one another. And you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't do enough good things. All those good things have been fulfilled and accomplished by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe today is the day of your salvation. And you'd like to say with confidence, and with boldness, I want to I wanna be in right standing with God. I don't want to be separate from him any longer. My relationships on a horizontal level won't work until they're right on a vertical level. If that's you and you know that's you, please don't, don't go another day. You, tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day of your salvation. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know Jesus Christ personally as my Lord. God bless you at the back. Is there anybody? God bless you. 
Is there anybody else that says, that's me? I don't want to miss you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you over here. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? And those that raise your hand, would you pray this along with them as support? Because we're really all family, that we have the same bloodline in Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it strong. Say, Jesus, I need your help. I thank you that you broke the barrier, the wall of hostility caused by my sin between me and you. That Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And I pray with all my heart and I believe that you today are my savior. Today is the day of my salvation. And I accept that I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace. And I also choose today of my free will to make you my Lord as well and follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Let's give the Lord the best hand clap for those decisions that were made.